Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. In the character and culture of that, uh, of that thought process, of that lie, we never apprehend Jesus in the moment, right then and right there. So it's a trick of the enemy to get us looking behind us and looking ahead of us, but we never meet Jesus face on and receive from him in the moment that we're in right there and right then. Uh, Because God is the ever-present right now, okay? Now this happens to Mary and Martha. Um, When Jesus is gone, um, Lazarus dies, and Mary and Martha are, are wishing that Jesus would have been there. Jesus, if you would have been there, this wouldn't have happened, okay? And so we all have this feeling that Jesus or God wasn't there when something bad happens. I want to tell you, whatever happened to you, God was right there in the middle of it with you. God doesn't appear as a God who absolves us from everything and we will never have to suffer or experience a hardship. That's just not the God we serve. You can have that God in your mind, but you're going to be sorely disappointed in the universe all the time, okay? But what we do have is a God that enters into suffering with us and says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Like that's the reality of the God we have. That God would put more of a precedence not on you getting what you want, but you understanding that in relationship with him, he's with you thick and thin. Like that, That's what God is about. God is about presence. He's not about safety or your comfort. That's just not what he's about. Matter of fact, the word comfort, do you know what it means? It's kind of taken on a different connotation now. But the word comfort means to turn into a fort. Come fort. So the Holy Spirit is our comfort tour. So what is the Holy Spirit's role in our life? It's turning us into a fort that can stand against the powers of hell, that can stand against anything that would come against us. It's not just to make you feel good even though he does that, amen, praise God. I love to cry the tears, but I'm crying the tears because worship is my warfare and it's my way through to the other side to the good things that God has for me. So this is where we can fall short. And so Jesus comes into the city and they're like, man, if you were here, this wouldn't happen, Jesus. So do you see what, what they slipped into? If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. See what I'm saying? So one's looking forward to the past saying there's no way this present can be redeemed. Okay? Now when Jesus gets there, he starts talking about the resurrection. And do you know what the other sister says? Oh yeah, we know there's going to be a resurrection way down here somewhere. So one said, oh, if you'd have been here, past. Oh yeah, down the road somewhere, we can experience that. And Jesus says, I am, present tense, the resurrection. I believe why he wept there was not just feelings for Lazarus. It was that his people were caught between they thought that something happened back here that train wrecked the purposes of God or that his future thing was way on up here so they couldn't see Jesus in the moment, in the presence. Jesus right now. Give your neighbor a high five and say, Jesus right now. I need Jesus right now. 
You don't need something else in your life to line up to get more of Jesus. You just need to change your perspective and your pursuit and run headlong into the purposes of God. You need Jesus right now, that's what you need. You don't need to hit the lottery. You don't need to hit the jackpot. You don't need to go down to Oakland and put your ticket down on a crazy legged horse. What you need right now is you need more of Jesus in your life. You don't need another vacation. You don't need another marriage seminar. You don't need anything. You need Jesus is what you need. And if you'll give yourself to him, he'll save you, he'll redeem you, and he'll perfect you. You don't need another good sermon, praise God. I told the Lord the other day, the Lord asked me again, do you want to be known for preaching or presence? I said, I want to be known for presence. I'm tired of preaching. Used to be my goal in life to be a good preacher. Who cares? If I'm a good preacher, you're just going to be looking at me and you ain't ever going to take nothing and go out there and do what he's called you to do. Just want his presence, man. Get him in the room and you have an encounter with him. You need Jesus. You need Jesus right now. You don't have to have people define it for you and tell you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Stop. All right. So to set this up, I've got a pretext to my text. Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. There's a moment where John testifies of Jesus previously before he baptized him. And he says what? Behold, here's the lamb that's going to take away the sins of the world. Now there was this Jewish thought that when the Messiah comes, he was going to bring all kinds of judgment on the Gentiles and that he was going to restore Israel and he was going to kick out the Romans and then he was going to be like almost like a King David type figure, that a, a more of a warrior, victorious uh, type Messiah. So when John starts prophesying, he says, there's one coming that's better than me, and he's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, he did that, but John had the wrong kind of fire in mind. <laughs> They're coming from the thought that he's going to call down the fires of judgment on unfaithful Israel and on the Romans. But what Jesus was more aimed to do was call down the fire of Pentecost <laughs> and to fill a bunch of believers with him and to consume them with the Holy Spirit so that they would walk out and walk the life of Jesus out in their context and in their world. So John the Baptist gets thrown into prison for his preaching and he's maybe having a time of discouragement, not sure, but the one whom he testified and said, I'm not worthy to latch his sandal strap and whom he baptized and the Holy Spirit, all this cool stuff that happened, he then starts to get uh, a little bit worried because Jesus is out doing mercy ministry. He's not calling down fire like Elijah, okay? So he's like, hey, go, 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 go to Jesus and say, hey, are you the one or do I need to look for another? You know, sometimes we can fall into that trap where we feel like God ain't doing enough. But it ain't that God ain't doing enough. He's just not doing what you want him to do. And so you have to get the eyes to see and the heart to perceive the very thing that God's doing and not assume that you're going to always understand what God is up to. So he sends him out and sends him out. And then so this messenger of John the Baptist comes to Jesus and Jesus says, uh, yeah, tell him that the 
blind see, <laughs> the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That that's Jesus' answer back to John. But then he throws John, it seems like a compliment, but you ever heard of a backhanded compliment? Sometimes they're called, well, never mind. Backhanded compliment, and he tells them, no greater person has been born of a woman than John the Baptist. But then in the next sentence he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. <laughs> He's like, John, your season's coming to an end and you prepared the way. But there's one coming that the least in this kingdom is going to be even greater than you could ever be. That, John, you're born of a woman, but I'm bringing about a race of people that are born from the Father in heaven, that are born again from heaven above. And then he makes this statement right here. Okay, I want to read it for you. Matthew 11. 11, 11. Make a wish. You ready? I tell you the truth that those born of a woman, no one arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet... He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're greater than John the Baptist. Hey, Jesus said it. Don't get mad at me. Now watch this. Yeah, that's worth shaking on. All right. Verse 12. Check this out. Now he says this statement. Now, now scholars have struggled with how, they're still struggling with how to interpret this passage because it. It just, it just reads funny, but they're doing the best they can with it. You have to go back to the original languages to kind of really sort through some of this stuff. So verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And yours might say, and the violent take it by force, or this one says a forceful people lay hold of it. So there's two schools of thought. But I think the story is borne out in scripture. I think it's a pretty easy interpretation. But there's two schools of thought. One school of thought is the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. So get over it. They're going to be violent to you. That's the truth. We can say that. But then there's another school of thought that, that doesn't take the negative tone from the middle voice in that parsing out of the Greek verbs. There's another interpretation that says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. But a violence rises up on the inside of people that gets a hold of God no matter what comes against them. So it's like you fight violence with the, the, when the enemy and when the kingdom is coming and when things are coming against the kingdom of God, you, that same violence that's coming against you, you turn it and you violently pursue Jesus with all that you have within you. That what the enemy meant to stop the kingdom of God actually becomes the motivation and the internalization of a people that says, I don't care how much you come at me, the harder you come, the harder I'm going after Jesus and I'm getting a hold of him no matter what. And so violently, Jesus says, the way you're suffering violence and there's people being crucified all over the place, he said, you that violently go after me and take up your cross. Notice that he uses a death instrument to say what we would carry in order to follow him. 
It's that the violence that they come against us with, we turn it back into a pursuit of the king (laughs) that overcomes anything that they throw against us. So it's with that context that we begin to see who enters the kingdom of heaven. Those who are crazy, crazy violent about it. And do you know who's crazy violent about it? People that are desperate, that have nothing to lose, that just want him. We find people with issues of blood that are way too unclean. We find them crawling on their knees and fighting through a crowd to get a hold of just a thread of what Jesus has on. They don't even touch Jesus. They just touch what's touching Jesus. And it's enough to bring a healing. It's enough to break the powers of darkness. It's little kids while Jesus is teaching and they run up and the disciples say, hey, get those kids in the nursery. They're making too much noise. You can't teach with these kids doing a figure eight between your legs. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Suffer not the little children because unless you do like that and jump up on my lap and put aside every boundary and put aside every uncleanness and put aside everything that's keeping you from him they didn't know one scripture they didn't know the bible they probably couldn't even read they're poor little rug rat agrarian kids but yet they're going after the heart of jesus with all that's within them and jesus says you gotta be like that some of us are just churched enough to stop seeking jesus with all our heart Some of us have been so churched, we don't even know what it is to get desperate for him again. Some of you are on the back row and you should be on this front row and you should be laying hands on people. But you've let a lie come in and say, oh, something, uh, Jesus can't be with me now. What are you sitting on that somebody in this room needs? This ain't about a nice little neat church service. I'm gonna pull the Pastor Lyle here. Hashtag ruin the service. <laughs> Hashtag ruin the service. We're gonna get it on the shirt before him. Ruin the service. I don't care. Where's somebody desperate enough that'll get a hold of the king and won't be moved? by difficulties or adversities. So thank God for Dr. Luke. He clears it up for us here in the parallel passage. Luke 16, 16 says this, the law and and prophets were in force until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed and everyone is urged to enter. See, sometimes you got to take all the gospels. I know, baby, I'm crying too up here. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. So in our text today, the disciples are encountering somebody that's actually trying to get in on the kingdom, but they feel like Jesus is distracted and is slowing down the mission that is on their heart. How many of you know we can have a mission on our heart and be with Jesus 
and think that Jesus is slowing us down when he's actually just trying to get our focus on the thing that is the actual thing he wants us concerned with. And so in our text today, Jesus is coming to Jericho. This is not Old Testament Jericho with the walls. This is New Testament Jericho. This was a corridor where um, all these wealthy merchants would come through in order to uh, carry their goods to, to buy and sell uh, as they were coming in to trade with different nations and different cities. So this would have been a very wealthy crossroads of merchants coming through. It's also a beautiful oasis. If you've ever seen a picture of New Testament Jericho, it's like in the middle of the de desert, it's like this beautiful oasis of palm trees and ancient travelers, when they would come up on it, would think it was a mirage because it was so beautiful and out of place. And then when they would arrive, they would be like, whoa, it's actually real. That this is the kind of beauty that this place was at. But within this beautiful place, there was a blind beggar. And this blind beggar's name was Bartimaeus. How many of you know, you can be in paradise, but feel like a blind beggar at the same time. So here is this man by the name of Bartimaeus. And what Bartimaeus is doing is he's born blind and so he's, he's begging. He's, as the merchants come by, he's asking for assistance. He's, he's just in a helpless place. Now back in these times in, in, in first century, um, being blind was considered a judgment from God. Do you remember the man that had been born blind? And the disciples asked, was it his parents' sin or his sin that made him blind? That blindness was actually seen as a, as a mark of the judgment of God. Um, matter of fact, in the Old Testament, no one was ever healed of blindness in the Old Testament. So that's why this belief began to, to perpetuate. Um, so this guy's in a, a rough spot, a helpless spot. And he has to depend upon the kindness and generosity of others. So he probably thought, why not wait in Jericho? That's where all the money is. Right. So he's positioned himself um, in a place where he feels like it's going to be his source. But what he doesn't realize is he's got the wrong source. He's got the wrong source. And so Jesus is coming through Jericho and, he, and again, there's no braille at this time. There's no, um, when you were born blind, it's just kind of what it was. Like you just had to kind of figure it out and depend upon the kindness of other people. And so this was kind of the, uh, the lot that blind Bartimaeus uh, was in. Now, blind Bartimaeus is the only person in the synoptic gospels, and that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, He's the only one in the Synoptic Gospels who got healed and is named by his name. So there's something peculiar here that the Mark wants us to know. Because Mark is written for people in a hurry. 16 chapters, it's written for Romans on the go. Where they could breeze through the story of Jesus and kind of carry on with their, their business. But here he adds a detail that would slow you down. <laughs> slow you down. And... There's something to note about this named man, that this named man is actually nameless. Because Bartimaeus 
You've heard this, Simon, son of Bar Jonah. Bar just means son of. So it's not like he's like blind Bart or something like that, okay? His name, Bartimaeus, means son of Timaeus. And so how would you like to walk around and your name is son of Timaeus? So even though he had a name, he didn't have an identity. (laughs) Yeah, even though he had a name, he didn't have an identity. So he's in a really weird place. It'd be like if I went around and they called me the son of Buddy. Hey, son of Buddy, go get that. Yes, sir. Hey, son of Buddy. Son of Buddy. Son of So here he is. Um, no hope in the world. Depending upon hopefully generous merchants that would throw him some change or bread or food. And this was his place that he would receive sustenance. Now there's something about being blind or having the, the inability to see is that your other senses become stronger. <laughs> your hearing <laughs> becomes that much more important. So that it could be that a blind man is closer to having an encounter with God than someone who claims that they can see. <laughs> so Bartimaeus is in this position and to use what's called spatial awareness, uh, a lot of times you're using sound. So if I went into a room and the echo was loud, I would realize that I might be the only one in the room. I'd have to depend upon that. Um, but if I, there's less echo in the room, that must mean there's more people around. When I'm uh, in that position, I, consistency and a pattern becomes vital. Because I know that it's so many steps to the doorway where I can get my things. So many steps down the road. And then so many steps to my spot. So if you'll see this with me, that Bartimaeus is actually caught in a cycle where every day it's the exact same thing. And he's gotten so used to the cycle, he begins to call the consistency a grace. (sighs) They're going to make me work for it. Okay. Some of us are caught in cycles. And we'd rather risk the safety of the cycle than we had break the cycle to risk the good thing that God might do for us. That some of us are still walking down the same roads of hurt, the same roads of unforgiveness, the same roads of reliving what happened in the yesteryears that we feel good because it's providing us some kind of income, some kind of living, but at the end of the day, we're really just blind beggars pretending that we're not. So what happens when it becomes a cycle, when it becomes a a stronghold, 
is when I don't see any other way but this way to walk my life out. Now I've identified with the pattern and now that pattern's become my identity. So now I'm getting called blind Bartimaeus when life is so much more than ever being able to see. So Bartimaeus is working his pattern and we don't know how long he's worked this pattern. He's worked it long enough that we, we know the name of the man and that he's at a corridor where lots of people would pass by. And so he's caught in a cycle. Now, not only is this cycle um, got him in a position to where he feels like he's helpless, um, he also has a label thrown on him. It's kind of ringing a little bit. You can help that. He's also got a label thrown on him by the government. Because in order to know who was legitimately blind and not, the government would issue robes as a permission to where you could beg on the streets. I imagine it looking like a blue Snuggie. I wish I had a blue Snuggie in this place. Oh, hey. Oh, my. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Hey, you know what? God's providing. He just keeps on providing. And here this whole time I was worried that I'd forgotten. You know what's funny about this is this was actually special ordered. And then Shay posts on there and says, why don't you just wear a robe backwards? And I thought, you're right. But then it wouldn't be a Snuggie if I did that. Oh, pockets. And you could put the remotes in the pockets. Uh, or some loose change. So here he is, walking around with his robe that identifies him as helpless and hopeless. And he goes and sits by the same place every time, throwing on the same label and begging by the road. So that becomes his life. But on this day, something really cool happened. He hears that the richest man that has ever lived <laughs> was coming through on this merchant's corridor. And this man not only had the cattle on a thousand hills, but he had the power to set people free. He had the power to heal people born blind. So I don't know if word got out or if the Holy Ghost just hit him with a jolt. But Jesus is walking through, and as Jesus is walking through, by this point in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 10, he's starting what has been called a, a procession into Jerusalem where they think he's going to, you know, kick the Romans out and say, I'm in charge. What instead happens is he turns over tables in God's house and then gets killed. <laughs> but 
It's all working together for God's good plan, whether the principalities and powers and people know it or not. So Jesus is on his royal procession and people are thinking, all right, let's get him to Jerusalem. If we can get Jesus to Jerusalem, we can be done with the Romans. I'm not the guy anymore, so I need to probably not not preach. I'll, I'll get back to that guy. But Jesus did bear our Snuggie in our place, so let's just say that. Okay. So he did have that. So he's heading in for the royal procession. So anything about a procession, it's kind of like, okay, in our context, it would be like uh, the queen who passed away. That, that's a shame um, when she passed. But it would be like this. If Prince uh, Charles and the queen were riding in their motorcade and a blind, poor person ripped up, went up and stopped the procession and said, stop, stop, Queen Elizabeth, have mercy on me. Like, there would be like red laser dots, right? Like, there would be a tackle, there would be cuffs involved. So like, see it with me. It's not just like Jesus is like willy-nilly walking around and like, the people have begun to join him and they're walking with him and it's this massive crowd of disciples and riffraffs and everything in between and they're thinking he's going to set in his kingdom. So it's a big entourage and a royal procession that's going through Jericho into the heart of Jerusalem. And so they're thinking we've got to get Jesus from here to there. But Bartimaeus has other ideas. And he begins to pursue when he shouldn't. He begins to break protocol because he's that desperate for Jesus. And at this, I got my arm in the wrong hole. There we go. So he breaks protocol. I needed Jesus. Josh, you're going to be Jesus this time. Where's Josh at? Get up here. I normally make him the devil or something, but he's Jesus this time. <laughs> Finally, see? See? The Lord's favor is on you. All right, so Jesus is walking through. I need an entourage. Give me, an entourage. Give me five people right here just to give me. Real quick, Jordan, come on. Kyler, uh, come on up here. I can't see. It's like there's lots of... Come on. Rylan, come on. Come on, Rylan. All right, so Jesus and his entourage. Now, I need people in the front. You guys are protecting Jesus, man. You guys, oh, my gosh. Okay. Hey, I need Billy. Where's Billy? Billy. I need Billy. Where's Chad? Is Ernest in here? Tony. Tony, come on up here. Billy. Chad. Where's, is Ernest in here? That would be the, that'd be the big time heavy hitters in the church. Greg. I need my biggest, muscliest guys to get up here. Oh, I forgot there's two Gregs. Well, that's okay, too. You're tough, too. <laughs> he got a little presumptuous. <laughs> he got presumptuous. That's all right. No, 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 I'm good, I'm good. No, 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 I gotta throw this off. 
need some Velcro on these. All right, so Jesus is coming through here, and everybody's saying, man, the king is coming, so the crowd's coming. And then Bartimaeus goes, hey, 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 son of David, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the crowd, read the text. Oops, I just clicked a button down here. The, the crowd set, turns on Bartimaeus and scolds him. But you read your text, it says that he yells even the more. So y'all scold me, shut up or whatever. So you see it. So he yells all the more. And then Jesus speaks up and tells the crowd, and Jesus speaks up and tells the crowd, tell him to come. So, so, so this is the issue with the crowd, okay? The crowd that's telling him, shut up and get out of here, is the then when Jesus says that, is like, well, why don't you hurry up and get over there? Don't you know the king has called for you? That's why if you're looking for advice to the crowd, the crowd killed Jesus, I'm just gonna tell you. And they might be saying Hosanna one week, but a few days later, they'll be saying, crucify him, give us Barabbas. You can't be moved by the opinions of others. And some of you have stopped your pursuit. Let me get this out, let me get this out. Some of you have stopped your pursuit because other people have told you to sit down and shut up. And other people have pursued because other people told you to get up here. You need to quit letting people tell you what to do and just go after Jesus with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all that's within you. Like that's what you're gonna have to do. It's wrong to do, it's just as wrong to do something because you've been urged and sit about of your own volition than it is to sit down because somebody told you not to go. So Jesus is saying, I'm not worried about going into Jerusalem. I want to have an encounter with people that actually want to pursue me and meet with me. That he's not after the things that we're after. So in order for Bartimaeus to make this pursuit, the Bible says that he throws off his cloak. In other words, he threw off the label that had been put on him and now he's naked with the source of how he was going to make his income thrown to the side because nothing was going to be more important than have an encounter with Jesus. See, some of you have allowed other people to throw labels on you and you've partnered with those labels and now you're walking in the identity of those labels. And some of you hate those labels. And you think, my hatred for that label is going to keep me from doing it. And I'm going to tell you, hate does not drive out hate. It's only perfect love that drives out the fear that's motivating the hate. So you have to throw off the labels that other people have tried to put on you. Some of you have gotten all kinds of pressures and labels thrown on you. And you have to throw those off and be willing to come to Jesus naked and open. It's not a sin to be naked, blind, and poor. It's a sin to not come in agreement with the reality that you are naked, blind, and poor. Because when you're trying to cover yourself with stuff, God doesn't anoint masks. <laughs> that was good. 
That was good. God doesn't anoint masks. He anoints real people, real faces, real bodies, people that are coming with nothing on, no label, no impressive thing, but people that just come as they are. That's the one who's, who's, whom he's anointing. So that's what he did. He throws off his stuff. Jesus says, crowd, get out, stay out of this. My people that are supposedly have my best interest at heart, would you stop? And he stops the royal procession for a guy that in that society means less than an ant. And Bartimaeus comes to him, and Jesus asks him this, this question. And this is crazy to ask, right? Because if a blind guy comes up to you, ask him for mercy, what do you think he's going to ask for? <laughs> Can I see? But Jesus still asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Why? Because Jesus knows unless you come with the confession of that thing, with no labels or coverings, he can't enter into the conversation about what it's going to take to walk that healing out. So he says, like, Jesus, come on, how, how dense can you be, Jesus? Just heal the guy and let's move on. He's like, no, we're having a conversation. What do you want me to do for you? And through that question, it's almost like when uh, the Garden of Eden, when they are, uh, when Jesus comes in and Adam has, has sinned and Eve has sinned and he says, where are you? Mm-hmm. It's almost like the question, even though he knows, begs your vulnerability to come on and to keep pursuing and to keep moving and to keep coming towards him. So he says, what can I do for you? And he heals him in this moment. So it's like this beautiful moment of pursuit of the one who's considered you have no business stopping a royal procession. And Jesus says, no, you don't even know what you're talking about. This is exactly the kind that violently come into the kingdom and get a hold of it. And they're the exact ones that actually encounter me. Isn't that funny that you could be in a group of people around Jesus and not even have his heart and know what moves him? You can be in the room and not know what moves his heart and be thinking you're one of them. It's the kid, it's the blind beggar, it's the Syrophoenician woman asking for a healing for her son. It's... These are the ones that break through. It's Lazarus dead in a tomb that draws Jesus. (laughs) It's like he's looking for the ones that we wouldn't think he's looking for. But the beauty of it is, is that he wasn't really looking for them. They just pushed aside every hindrance and said, I'm looking for you. They weren't waiting for a future encounter with God or for this, that, and the other to work out before they found him. They weren't waiting or blaming something from their past that hindered them. He could have easily said, well, I can't even see where I'm going. What am I going to do? How many people did he bump into and knock over getting to Jesus? How many people told him to shut up and sit down? 
But as good as his hearing had become from being blind, he still couldn't hear the haters. <laughs> but I'll tell you what he did here. You know what he did here? This is what he did here. Tell him to come to me. Tell him to come to me. Jesus is looking for some people that know what it is to ruin the service, to ruin the processional. To not sit there and behave, but to make a mess of everything. And put a pause to the procession to have an encounter with the King of glory. That's what he's looking for. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Some big old boys in that group. The ones that weren't big can make it up for toughness, so. Maybe Jesus isn't telling us to behave. He's telling us, what will you fight through in order to have an encounter with me? So what have you put on? What label or lie have you been wearing that have made you be a spectator instead of a participator into the things of God? You know, I got to thinking about that cup. What time is it? Oh, it's getting close. Somebody's getting a call for lunch over there. Um, I was thinking about that cup. Did you have a cup, Em? No, you don't have a cup. Oh, thanks, Gary. You know what, something about this cup? You know what he had to do in order to hear Jesus? You know what he had to do to hear, to hear Jesus? He had to stop rattling the change of things that he was hanging on to. And some of you are having so much trouble hearing the king because you're still hanging on. And he's over here saying, I love you. Would you seek me? Would you come to me? I want to have an encounter with you. I want to pull you in. I want to, I want to love on you. I want to heal you. I want to do all these things. And this, all you can hear is the change that you keep begging for. It's like all we want is change. And if we think if we have more change, we're going to be better for it. And I'm going to tell you right now, you got Jesus right now. That you don't need one thing to change. What you need is to stop rattling your desire for change and to meet him right where you're at, right in the middle of your mess, right in the middle of your stuff and have an encounter with the king. Cameron, would you come up and start ushering in this song? We're going uh, to play this song um, 
I don't remember the name of it. It's by Lauren Daigle. What was you say? And it's about accepting what God says about us and not what we think about ourselves. And so in order to hear that truth, you're going to have to throw off some labels, throw off some pride that's covering some things that you've been afraid to show. And you're going to have to stop rattling and begging for change. And you're going to have to stop begging for change and start begging for God. Hell doesn't care if you beg for change. But you start begging for Yahweh Demons start to get nervous. And here's the issue. You can't keep your dignity and get your deliverance. And the problem with us is become, we've become too dignified. But the dignified don't get him. That's why King David, who ever had an excuse to be dignified, said, I'll become even more undignified than this. <laughs> oh, man. Would you stand to your feet? Here's what I want us to do. You got these cups. Whatever you need to bring to the altar, I want you to bring it in this cup right now. We're going to stop begging for change and we're going to start begging for him. Bring it to the altar. Come on, move, move, guys. Come on. Let's encounter him, not each other. laying it down what is it three cents what's three cents compared to you get God what's a cup full of some metal when you can have Jehovah Jireh Come on, intercessors, lift your voices. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.